Grace and peace to y'all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I uh, also wanted to thank everyone for uh, praying for my dad this past week. He had surgery, and he's doing better now, but that's why they're not here this morning. He's just needing his rest and getting healed up and recuperated, and Mom is helping him with that. So thank you for your prayers. Um, I'm going to get right into it. Um, I'm continuing uh, in the series that we've been on uh, for the past uh, while now called Crucified with Christ. And it is following chronologically the letters and the works of Paul in the New Testament. Um, other than Christ, I think I've said before, but I'll reiterate. Other than Christ, I think Paul's my favorite character in, in the Bible. Character. Well, uh, he's my favorite person in the Bible. Um, he, he, writ, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So there's a lot of him in the New Testament. And I like him so much because he's raw, he's real, and he, he goes into complete detail explaining certain things of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And they have blessed me, and they have uh, revived me, and they have uh, uh, thrown out a lifeline many times when I felt like I was drowning. And so we're going to get into uh, the next uh, uh, series or the next, excuse me, the next uh, uh, message in this series of Crucified with Christ. And we're at, the text is Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through 21. And the title of this message is Christ Crucified, Us Justified. We as a people, maybe, and I'm confident it's probably the same in other cultures as well, but especially in American culture, we love justice, or we say that we love justice, or we strive for justice. And I know the one of the, we, we love justice because look at some of our TV shows. Law and Order has been going on for how long? Uh, um, there's other shows like movies you think about. Sometimes your favorite scenes in a movie or a show that you may be watching was in a courtroom. Um, and this has been going on that way for uh, the longest time since even cinema probably even uh, came about. Uh, uh, judge Judy, you watch those shows, you know, there's the judge ruling, and then there's, you know, a case, there's a plaintiff, there's a defendant, there's someone who's being accused of something, and someone who uh, is bringing forth that accusation. Um, there's a famous scene in a movie uh, called A Few Good Men that, as a Marine, uh, it's one of those moments where you kind of lean in a little bit forward and as I mean you're kind of listening you're like oh my I agree with Colonel Jessup okay and maybe that's a different perspective but you know there's that that line where Tom Cruise he's like you know I am entitled to the truth and he or he says you know I want the truth then uh, uh and Colonel Nathan Jessup uh played by Jack Nicholas just retorts back you can't handle the truth and then he goes into his tirade of what the truth actually is and I love that moment he goes you want me on that wall you need me on that wall you know and, and, and it's like yeah, yeah, you know so we, we, we get into this you know this, we love courtroom drama we, we, we are drawn into justice and so many times we see the injustices of this world and we're like I demand justice but it's always justice for you and mercy for me. Have you noticed that? As soon as we're talking about justice for me, that's a scary, scary idea. 
especially when we come into the realm of God's courtroom. Justice for me? That's bad news. That's bad news. Because against a three-time holy God, I've committed cosmic treason in my sin. Not only when I sin, but I am an enemy of God because I'm a sinner. See, there's a big difference in being a sinner because you sin or sinning because you're a sinner. Because of old Adam, sin reverberated into creation and provided and administered a sin nature to us all. No one had to teach me how to sin. It's what I wanted to do. It was my desire. It, that was my will. That was my will to pick and choose to do something selfishly, to do something that is against God, to act as if I were God, to do what serves me, 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 or makes much of me, or placards my name. What does justice mean? And I'm going to these definitions real quick because I grew up in the church. I, I am blessed on so many different levels of what my father and my mother provided for me before I was even born. I, I can honestly, and this is not bragging, this is not, I'm just explaining to where my situation is, it'll feed into the message. I can honestly not remember in the time of my life where I didn't know who Jesus was. One of the first songs my mother ever taught to me was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Those are the first songs that I taught my, my sons. <laughs> I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but side tangent. As a Marine Corps recruit at Paris Island, when we sang Jesus loves me in chapel, I bawled like a little baby in front of everybody. Because all those memories came flooding back. Memories that my parents, whether it was on purpose or, or, or not on purpose, God knew it was on purpose. And he knew that that beat of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, would stay with me and help me. And it's a little kid's little, little song, but there's so much gospel truth in it. We are weak, but he is strong. And I've learned all so many other things growing up in church, but have you ever, and, and this, this doesn't have to be in church as well, this can be in life in general. Have you ever come to a point in your life when you hear something wonderful and you're like, wait a minute, I've been around this all my life. How am I just now hearing about it? Or how am I just now waking up to this? Or how, how did I not get taken over by this understanding concept years ago? This was me when going through seminary, a little bit before that, this concept of being justified by faith alone and Christ alone. And whether that phrase was ever used, I don't recall. I knew that Jesus died for my sins. I knew that by placing faith in him that he would save me of my sins. But if, I could, if you had to ask me what I remembered the most in Sunday school or whatever, growing up in church, it was how to now be a good boy. Or how to now be a good Christian, which is good. They are good things to teach. 
But I can tell you how I was taught that I needed to live like the right things that David lived like and don't live like David and the other wrong things that David did. Or to, be, to, be, uh, to, to avoid the temptations of Samson or to be faithful like Daniel as he prayed or to be like this person and that person and that person when the whole time those stories in the Old Testament were put there to point us to Jesus Christ. David is an image of Christ slaying our giant of sin, death, death in the grave. Joseph is an image of Christ where his selling into slavery by his own family, he ends up saving his entire family by saying what you intended for bad, God intended for good. Abraham and Isaac, excuse me, Abraham and Isaac, yes. God even said, it's, so, it's almost comical. God even said to Abraham, because you were willing to give up your son, comma, your only son, from Genesis all the way through, every story that we get, I, I am confident saying this, is screaming Jesus' name, pointing us to Jesus Christ for a specific reason and purpose, because his life, his death, his resurrection for us is the main event. And even as a little child, when asked a church question, and I whether didn't know the other answer or smart aleck, being a smart aleck, I would reply back, Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Who knew how right we were when we were children, where we just said, oh, Jesus. So I want to dive in today on this concept of what justified really means because it has, it was, one of the, it was one of the main points, justification by faith was one of the main things of the Protestant Reformation. It's what set everything in motion back then. So it's something that has blessed me and I am confident that it will bless you too. What does justice mean? It's a just behavior or treatment. It's the quality of being fair and reasonable. It is the administration of the law or authority in maintaining this. In Christian terms, in theological terms, what does justified mean? Justified means to be declared or made righteous in the sight of God. And then the other word that seems to like jump out at me later in life, and I don't remember ever it being like a thing all the time growing up, is what does justification mean? Justification means it is the act of showing something to be right or reasonable. It is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. Where we left, where we left off last time in the book of Galatians, in the letter to Galatians, we're reading how Paul is he's greeting the Galatians, he's letting them know that he's aware of the false teachers that have infiltrated their church. They've brought in the law back in. They're saying, hey, yeah, yeah, this is great, but you, know, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. You need to observe ceremonial laws in order to be a Christian, to be in right with God, to be justified. And Paul is coming in, both guns a-blazing, letting them know, whoa, 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 time out. This is not the gospel that I delivered to you. And 
through chapter 1, verses, through the rest of chapter 1, we left off on chapter, or verse 10 last time, through the rest of chapter 1 and through half of chapter 2, Paul is presenting his credentials for why they should listen to him. You know, why should the Galatians listen to Paul's gospel and not everyone else's gospel? All these other false teachers are coming in and saying, whoa, 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 you know, we were, you need to listen to us. So Paul is presenting his reasons, his case for why they ought to listen to Paul's gospel, his credentials. And they were that he didn't receive the gospel from another man or from men. He received the gospel from Jesus Christ himself on the Damascus Road. Which is, that's another funny experience and topic as well. Here's Paul, enemy of God, excuse me, here's Saul, enemy of God, enemy of Christ, on his way to kill Christians, and Jesus just shows up and just knocks him off his horse. So bad that it changed his name from Saul to Paul. Not right there, but later on he eventually adopted that, picked up that name. And Christ took it personal. Paul's persecution of the Christian church. Jesus didn't ask him, why are you persecuting the Christians? Jesus asked Paul, why are you persecuting me? That's how much Christ identifies himself with those who have faith in him. That's another sermon in and of itself. To know that Christ would attach himself to me, would claim me. So Paul's laying out his credentials for why he ought to be believed, how it was confirmed with the other disciples, how, how the gospel was in line and in step with what they had taught. And it's important, it's important that we are given the reasons why Paul ought to be trusted, why he has apostolic status. Because if Paul isn't an apostle, if he's not in line with with what of, of an apostle back then, then there's no reason why his stuff ought to be in the New Testament. Why, do we, why, should, why, why is he in the inspired word of God? There's certain criteria that, this is, again, I'm going off on a tangent, I'm going to try not to. There's certain criteria of why these 66 books made it into this, and why the other books didn't, or other writings didn't, or why Bubba, who was also in Jerusalem, wrote his account, and why it wasn't included. Bubba wasn't really. I was just used picking the name. But, but it, there's reasons for why Paul's stuff makes it in. And, and part of the reasons that he gives are listed here in these verses. When it comes to standing up for the gospel of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, the importance of Paul's status, we mentioned that, be stubborn in the defense of the gospel. Paul's very stubborn when it comes to defending the gospel in Galatians. There's some other things within Christian freedom or other doctrines that are important in personal convictions that, you know, sometimes, and I'm learning this as I get older, well, sometimes a wise head keeps a shut mouth. So, whether regardless of whether or not you know, you know, you know you're right on something, sometimes it's just, if you have the choice to be right or be kind, go with kind. The one place, though, 
that we are encouraged to hold the line. It's when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, his justification, justification by faith alone in him. Because that's where Paul is holding the line. Paul treats this topic as, and he goes in to say this in other places, especially when he writes to the churches in Corinth, that failures in living a moral life are, yes, they're indeed bad. Immorality is something that ought to be checked. But missing out on the gospel pales it in comparison. If a crisis needs to be averted, and those are both present, the, the first thing you go for is correcting the gospel. Every time. Does that mean that we ought, ought not to be concerned about immorality? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm simply saying that when it, according to the gospel, whether you're living morally or not, it just doesn't come into play anymore if the gospel is lost or if you're missing the gospel or if the gospel is not being communicated correctly. The gospel is not you can now live right for Jesus. The gospel is you didn't live right, so Jesus died for you. That's a big difference. The absence and or perversion of the gospel is more of a problem than failure in Christian living. This next part in Galatians is my favorite passage in all of Scripture other than Romans 4-5. It, it did something to me. Not that I'm now better Zach Cole, but I'm free Zach Cole. It saved me from myself. It, it, it brought me to new life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Wow, that is such a bombshell, those verses, because it changes the whole picture the whole scheme of things the jig is up
It is no longer me, 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 me. It is Christ. It is Christ. It is Christ. The death of Christ saves. The death of Christ saves. The death of Christ saves. Moses is not going to lead you into the promised land. You need a Joshua to do it. Those of you who don't know, Yeshua is Joshua. How we call Yeshua Jesus, Jesus later, that's a different topic altogether. But in Hebrew, Yeshua was also Joshua, the one who took over the command of the Israelites after Moses. And he led the Israelites through the promised land. Moses, the lawgiver, passed before that, correct? Because he messed up. But I believe that God also did it on purpose to display, Moses, you're the lawgiver. You are not able to lead my people into the promised land. Joshua's going to do it. In the same manner, the law, its job, what it does, the law is not going to lead you into heaven. You're going to need Jesus to do that. Does that mean the law is bad? No, 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 no. The law is good and glorious and perfect and holy. I am not. The law's job is not to save me. That is not what it's designed to do to a sinner. The law is designed to kill a sinner and to administer justice rightly before the throne of God. Before the throne of God, me and the law are not on good terms. At all. My only hope, my only hope in that case is mercy. That's all I've got. I need someone who is willing to take my sentence instead of me taking it on myself. And through the throne room comes a lamb who looks like he was slain, who stands in my place and receives justice for me. All of the justice that I deserve was placed on Jesus Christ on his cross. All of it poured out righteously, justly on Jesus. And his righteousness and his mercy and his grace was poured out on me. So I'm free. Just like Barabbas. When Pilate offered the crowd, here's Barabbas, a justly condemned murderer. Or, or he, was, he was supposed to die. He was there by right. And he offered the crowd, which one will you let me release? Which one do you want? Do you want Barabbas, the righteously condemned sinner, or Jesus, who I can't find any fault with? And the crowd said, give us Barabbas. And they took Jesus instead. I'm Barabbas. We don't know what happened to Barabbas after that. We don't know if he lived the right life or whatever. But the point of the story is, is not what happened ever. It was what happened right then. He's free because of Jesus Christ. The thief on the cross next to Jesus. I'm, I'm here because I'm supposed to be. You're not. 
Jesus, will you remember me when you get in your kingdom? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's what saving faith looks like. Betting the farm on Jesus Christ. Betting that the only way off of this is him right next to me. For me. Not mountain-sized faith was this great. If you have it, use it to love your neighbor. Use it to preach the gospel. Use it to tell the gospel to other people. That's great. But even little bitty faith is enough because the power is in what and who your faith is in. Little bitty faith in Jesus Christ is enough for eternity. Justified. By faith. Remember, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. Because Abraham did a righteous thing? No, but because he believed in the promises of God. Jesus promises, because I lived and died and rose for you, I have forgiven you of all your sins. And the person that says, yep, that's faith in Christ. The person that says, man, I don't know, I kind of want to do it, you know, I think I'm kind of doing all right here. Still needs to hear the law. Law for the self-righteous, gospel for the broken in spirit. If we are justified in Christ, then it is impossible for us to be justified through the law. Justification by the law or through Christ, one of these has to be false. If we try to be justified in Christ, then discover that we need the law or are not really justified in Christ alone. Then Christ is nothing but a lawgiver, even an agent of sin. Paul accusing false apostles and self-righteous of most gravely perverting everything. Christ is the end of the law. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 19, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. To seek to be justified by the works of the law is to reject the grace of God. Since Christ's suffering, death is true. He suffered for us. Righteous by any other means than Christ alone is horrible, blasphemy. Yet this is the view that commonly reigns. The law cannot justify us. If it could, Christ was stupid to die on the cross. That's kind of scary to say. But that's how bold we need to be in our stance of what the gospel is. If Zach Cole can now justify himself before God by being obedient to the law, then what Jesus did on the cross was dumb. Because why did he die? Why did Jesus die? Why did God the Son die? To save me from my sins. As I said earlier, to take my justice and bear it on him. My past sins, my sins that I'll commit today, and my sins that I'll commit tomorrow. All. 
The sufficiency of Christ is so important. How sufficient is the death of Christ? And I'm praying, and I'm, um, I don't want this to be the case. But the death of Christ is so sufficient that even if my worst failure in my life is ahead of me, he already drank that cup down too. See, God treats us differently. When we interact with each other and we hurt someone, uh, someone else or we sin against someone else or we cause pain, especially you know, any kind of hurt, forgiving them is a very hard thing to do. Forgiving yourself is a very hard thing to do. Back and forth. We say, we, we forgive but we don't forget. That's not forgiveness. I'm sorry, it's not. If you thought it was... I, was that a news flash, D1? If, if, if you say you forgive, but you don't forget, that's, that's not forgiveness. But I don't want to be burned again. I don't want to be, I, I need to do I. Jesus doesn't treat us like we treat each other. God says he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Blessed is the man who God does not remember his sins. God actively chooses not to remember our sins. That's how sufficient the death of Christ is. And if you're here this morning, and if this sounds like wonderfully good news, it is, and if you're wondering how to have it, or maybe you're thinking, I've never asked to have it, or I don't know how to, or maybe I never have placed faith in Christ. I'm praying with you right now as, this is another fun thing, the Bible says that Christ prays for us too. I'm praying for everyone in this room right now. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is exploding faith into every heart in this room. And if you're here this morning, and this is the first time that you're realizing, I'm betting the farm on Jesus Christ. I'm going all in. I'm placing all my faith that when I leave this life and I make it to heaven, it will be because Christ died for me. If that's the confession on your heart, or even if it's, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Even if it is, I want to believe, but I don't know how to make it. Again, have faith in Christ. Exploding faith into the heart, that's his pay grade. All faith looks like is turning to him and saying, okay, you've said this. Remember me when you get it to your kingdom. Remember me, Christ. And that's all it takes. This is now a time for prayer. If you're here this morning, this is the first time that you're making that decision, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. We would love to celebrate with you. That is a wonderful, wonderful moment is to know that Christ has saved you. It's such good news that we ought to be compelled to tell our neighbor, not out of fear that he's now going to reject me if I don't, because then that's the law, but out of a cheerful heart, simply coming from a position of I'm a beggar, 
who's simply telling my fellow beggar where I found bread. Come meet a man that knows everything about me and yet still wants me. Knows everything about me and yet would die to have me. That's a different kind of love. First Corinthians 15. Here's the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Christ died for you. Even to the person who thinks, no, not me. Yeah, especially you. Christ died for you. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. God bless y'all. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Pastor Zach, for that wonderful word, for that timely word. Because I needed your life this morning, I invite you to come to the front, to come to meet a man, and his name is Jesus. Come with an open heart and an open mind, trusting in him, and he's going to meet your need this morning, whatever it may be. Jesus' name.